Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. All right, all right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Thank you so very much for listening once again. We have a lot of new listeners coming in every day, so this is a good thing to see. And if this is your first time listening to the show... I talk about politics and current events, some economics, and, you know, I always have, I always come at it from a libertarian bias. Once a week or so, I do have a co-host, Johnny the Jew Mandel. He is out on assignment this week, so you're stuck with just me. Me and my sore back. God, I'll tell you what. It is hell getting old. You run up the stairs too fast one morning, and then for the next week, you have a a, a destroyed back. You can't turn your head. Ah, anyway, I I don't know. I can't shoot the breeze too much because I have a lot I want to cover today, and I'm going to try to get to it all. Some of it's funny, some of it not so much. I'm sure a lot of you saw the whole Fredo Cuomo meltdown on the interwebs yesterday and me having some Italian heritage in my bloodline and being a huge fan of The Godfather. I, of course, had some thoughts on that whole debacle. What else? Oh, so, yeah, um, Joe Biden had another one of his quintessential gaffes that I want to make sure it gets the airtime that it deserves. The, the timing for Joe was impeccable. You know, there are all these conspiracy theories floating out there about the Epstein suicide. If Biden wasn't such a bumbling idiot, I wouldn't put it past him to put that whole thing in motion just to take the attention off of him. But th- there are some very serious stories developing that are are being overshadowed by the bread and circuses of the day. And I have to devote some time to the more serious things first. And there is a very, very serious situation brewing over in Hong Kong. And it's not getting nearly the attention that I think it deserves. Now, I've never been to Hong Kong. I've always wanted to go there. I'm sure most Americans don't give it a second thought because it's on the other side of an ocean. Not my listeners, obviously. The fact that you listen to this show proves that you're at least one cut above the average American, thank God. But Hong Kong's had an interesting history. And it's one of those, it's really one of the last bastions of what passes for freedom these days. 
And that's all in jeopardy right now. You know, it's not that dissimilar from the protests that have been going on in France. And for those of you listeners who have not gone back and listened to the Yellow Vest episode of Peddling Fiction, I suggest you do that as well because I do not do, or at least I try not to do, news in a vacuum. And what's what's been going on in Hong Kong? Well, let me let me back up. Let's let's back up for a minute and just talk, let's talk about Hong Kong for a second because as I said, it isn't your normal run of the mill country or anything like that. So Hong Kong was being held as a colony of the United Kingdom since about I think like 1840 or something like that when it was occupied during the first opium war. And the war broke out between the, the Qing dynasty I think that's how you say it. I don't know. In China. And, and they attempted to crack down on the illegal opium trade that led to this widespread addiction of opium throughout China. Right. And when China lost that war, they had to cede Hong Kong to the British through some sort of treaty. I forget the name of it. Oh, actually, there were a number of treaties, if I remember correctly. Several treaties that ended with the British sort of gradually over time acquiring all of the main territories of Hong Kong. Because I think there's three main regions of Hong Kong. There's like there's a little island, and then there's a peninsula, and then there's like sort of the mainland there. Anyway, it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sidetracking myself here. Basically, long story short, Britain gets a 99-year lease on Hong Kong. And under the terms of that treaty, China would regain control of it in, in 1997. Now, as the expiration of that lease grew nearer and nearer, I want to say starting around like the 70s or so, the UK and, and China started having all these meetings and discussions about how they were going to handle this territory. And what they ended up coming up with was this sort of joint declaration agreement that China would give Hong Kong some political and social autonomy through what they call a one-country, two-system policy. And that was supposed to last for 50 years. Okay? And it was really interesting to see that Hong Kong is a great example of what free market capitalism can do to a country because there's nothing really that spectacular or unique about Hong Kong. It was just a small fishing village. Just the, the trajectory that it went off on compared to the rest of mainland China, which became a communist country around 1949, 1950, something like that. I mean, we, we all know what's been going on in China, but Hong Kong has just taken off. It's a bastion of freedom when it was under British rule. That's one of the things I always, I always think whether or not, you know, it, we would have been better off if we had just remained under British rule, if we had just stayed under the thumb of King George, paid the goddamn 3% tea tax and and not declared our independence and created this leviathan of a federal government i always wonder what we would look like as a country now because my god if if the founding fathers had known what the united states would become the largest government in the world 
thousands and thousands of pages of regulation added to the, the dockets every year, policing the world, foreign entanglements as far as the eye can see, taxes up the wazoo, you name it. Everything that they wanted to guard against basically happened <laughs> happened to us. And Hong Kong, under British rule, they were, they were pretty much left alone. And, and so they were very prosperous. And now, over the last 20 years or so, this one country, two system idea is kind of falling apart. Because China, mainland China can't keep their hands to themselves. They keep trying to meddle in all of the political affairs of Hong Kong. And they keep trying to get a hand and an influence and who's controlling, who, who gets elected. Because the way Hong Kong leaders are elected now, they have a... Um, they do limit the suffrage. So they have a legislative chamber and then a mix of professionals and businessmen and trade elites, whatever you want to call them. They make up this election committee. And that committee votes to elect the chief executive for Hong Kong. And maybe five years ago or so, there, there were protests in Hong Kong because, because China, mainland China, instituted election reform. What they decided was they were going to stop limiting the suffrage and that now they would open up the voting to a popular vote. But here's the thing. They, they, you don't get to just vote for anybody. No, no. Uh, Beijing gets to pre-screen and select individuals, individual candidates for you to then choose from. So as in the U.S. where they give you the illusion that you're picking the candidates that you're going to vote for, even though you're really not, in, in China, they just come right out and say it. They're like, here's, here's your pre-approved list of candidates that you can vote for. And that sparked outrage among the Hong Kong people. They broke out in a protest in, in 2014, I think it was, something like that. And, and now, what has sparked these most recent protests is a bill that was pushed by the, the more pro-Beijing leaders of Hong Kong that would allow extraditions to any jurisdiction with which it does not already have a treaty, including mainland China, for the first time. So once again, the people of Hong Kong are, have, have seen the Trojan horse that Beijing is trying to sneak across the border, you know, open themselves up to any, any ridiculous crime that, that ch communist country China can can come up with and charge you with, then you could be extradited to China. And the the catalyst for that, you know, they always have, governments always have an excuse, right? It's always just the camel's nose under the tent. We just need, we need this power so that we could do this. It's for your own safety. There's some guy in Taiwan that's accused of murdering his girlfriend, I think, and they want to they pass this law so that he can be extradited back to Hong Kong so that they can bring charges against them. And all these politicians that are in tight with the mainland China, they're all assuring the people of Hong Kong that, oh, don't worry, this won't be used to extradite you to China or anything like that. It's just to get this murderer back to Hong Kong because he killed his girlfriend. Now, obviously, yeah, okay, that's what they're going to use this for initially. But just like every other government law that gets passed, 
the original, whatever they claim the original intent is, gets expanded immediately. And you always have to, anytime you're considering a piece of legislation, you always have to imagine the worst case scenario in which it could be used. And that's what these people in Hong Kong are realizing is that, hey, this this is ridiculous. They can come at us for anything. We could be extradited back to China on some trumped up charges, thrown in some communist fucking gulag. I don't think so, you know. Homie, don't play that. These guys weren't born yesterday. The problem is, um, that actually, there are several. And I do, I do support, I am in full support of, of the people of Hong Kong. You do not want to let China get, get their foot in the door in terms of extradition or anything else. You want communist China as far away from you as possible. The problem is, like the, like the Yellow Vest protests in France, the the things that the people of Hong Kong are calling for, uh, it's democracy. You know this this fantasy of democracy, as if democracy is synonymous with freedom. It's not, and it drives me crazy, absolutely crazy, that everybody pretends to hold democracy in such high regard, when really it's just fifty one percent of the population imposing their will on the other 49%. It's tyranny of the majority. There are so many problems with democracy. And while it, while I do think that Hong Kong needs to keep mainland China as far away from their territory as possible and as little involved as possible, strengthening your democracy, it's a short path to communism from democracy. I'll put it that way. Look at where we are in the U.S. It didn't take long for our democratic republic to to get eroded into almost a full-blown democracy now there's still a couple safeguards in place but there are now calls to 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 finish those off as well and if i were to run through the 10 planks of communism right now with you you'd quickly realize that we're basically there we're basically there already in a few short decades you can go from a, a free society to communism the blink of an eye all because of democracy Ugh, democracy. Uh, you know, I've been meaning to do an episode on democracy, and I guess now is as good a time as ever to just shred it, hopefully once and for all. Everybody loves democracy, right? Until they actually see it in practice. Until, until the shoe's on the other foot, and you're, you're in the minority, right? But there's, there's just so many things wrong with democracy, just the idea that your rights as a, as a human being, as an individual, are subject to the vote of a majority is, is absolutely ridiculous. We either have individual human rights or we don't. And I don't mean rights in the way the, all these Democratic candidates explain them, like you have a right to he- health care and education and, and the services of other people. I mean negative rights. You, if we have human rights, real human rights, they're not, then they're not subject to the vote of a, of a majority of people. I mean, first of all, what's so great about a majority? The majority's wrong all the time. The majority of people, the majority of the world, thought slavery was a good idea. So who the hell cares about the majority? What what difference does it make from a, a moral perspective if three out of four people decide on something? If I go to a bar, 
right with with three other friends right and and the, and we you know we're drinking all night and then the tab comes <laughs> and, and all my buddies look at me and like hey you know we just took a vote and the three of us decided that you got to pick up the tab <laughs> now do i have to pick up the tab now because the majority voted on it it's ridiculous but i i just reject this idea that our our individual rights as human beings are are subject to the whims of a majority it's ridiculous so i'm sorry but a group of people getting together and casting their their vote should not dictate what is right what is moral or what is inherently ours and then if you just think about it for two seconds about what you're asking the the average person to do in a democracy the whole system just comes crumbling down I mean, think of all the stuff that you have to know about, right? They're, they're, they're involved in the economy. You have to know economics, monetary policy. You, you have to know foreign policy, how, how to run the military, education, health care, energy. The list goes on and on and on. So not only do are you counting on the majority of people to be smart enough to know enough about all of these topics and to analyze the vast array of like the smorgasbord of policies that the candidates are putting in front of them, but also that the candidates themselves have the perfect mix of policies. Like at least one of those candidates has to have the best mix, right? That, that's got all of the right policies and just the right proportions. What are the odds that the average voter is going to know enough about any one of those things to make an informed decision on who has the right plan for this? And then, of course, as soon as people realize that they could buy the votes, they just have to buy the votes of the majority of people, that they can steal, they can rob from Peter to pay Paul, Right, you, you can always take money from the millionaires and billionaires because guess what? They're going to be in the minority. There's always, there's always the middle class. That's why they're always, every, every politician is so concerned with the poor and the middle class. Yeah, yeah, they're such humanitarians. They care about you so much, right? Bull, bull. They care about the votes, and that's where the votes are. You know, it's like uh, Willie Sutton. Why do you rob banks? Because <laughs> that's where the money is. So that's why the politicians are always pandering to you, Joe Sixpack, because there's more Joe Sixpacks than there are Bill Gates. I've only scratched the surface. I mean, uh, on top of that, right? So <laughs> let's say you can, you can have uh, an electorate. Uh, the majority of people are going to be wise and, and knowledgeable enough to pick the right candidate. Then, of course, you're depending on that candidate to carry out the policies that he campaigned on, right? Because politicians never lie. They always tell the truth, right? <laughs> so there, there's that aspect of it. Then on top of that, you're relying on the majority of people, you know, 5149, you're, you're relying on that 51% of the population to not abuse their power. Even though they, they control the minority politically, they dominate them politically, that they're not going to abuse them and take away some of their God-given rights, right? And of course, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they impose their will on the minority? Uh, think of, think of what, you, what you see now today in America. Can you seriously sit there 
ask me to believe with a straight face that if the Democrats came into power, they would not take away my right to defend myself. Hell, even Republicans. We got Donald Trump coming out there talking about red flag laws. They're going to start imposing their morality onto the minority. And then, of course, you're relying on the minority to just sit back and take it. To just sit back while their rights are violated by the majority. So that's another complication. But let's say, let's pretend for the sake of argument that you could find this civilization that had the vast majority of people that were so smart and educated and, and cool-headed and considerate that not only did they know all of the, the correct policies on how to run society and they could analyze politicians proposals correctly and they were they were immune to bribes and and influence and manipulation and propaganda and they would never abuse the minorities you know they would abide by at least a set of principles of basic human rights and 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 a code of morality that they would not violate of the minority right let's say that's us okay so that that's that's america right well, then I have to ask you, if society is chocked full of all of these incredible people, all these smart, kind, considerate people who are willing to set aside their own ambition and their own preferences for the sake of everyone else, for the good of society, why do we need a government at all? Why do we need to be ruled? If we have, if the vast majority of people are, are this good, why do we need a government at all? Why do we need democracy? And now, all of a sudden, I can actually hear all the people saying, oh, well, you know, there's not that many good people in society. We'd be at each other's throats. There'd be chaos in the streets, mayhem everywhere. The poor and the sick and the elderly would be left to fend for themselves. I can hear you saying that right now in my headphones. You're thinking about the roads, aren't you? There wouldn't be any roads. The poor wouldn't be able to get an education. There'd be gangs of people at each other's throats. All of a sudden, this myth of the noble citizenry just vanished, like Kaiser Soze. You see, you can't have it both ways. Democracy is either a valid form of government because the, the vast majority of people are smart, moral, unselfish, caring individuals, in which case there's no need for a government at all, and we could all just get along voluntarily, could organize society voluntarily, handle all the problems of society with private charities and a free market, or the vast majority of citizens are the crazed, immoral psychopaths that would be at each other's throats, that would leave the poor and the sick and the elderly to starve in the streets, and would only be concerned with their own selfish interests over that of society, and, and would therefore vote that way in your democracy and destroy the whole thing. You see the contradiction there? Do you see the problem now with democracy? And the proof is in the pudding. If, if democracy works, right, if, you, if democracy is this great system that reflects the will of the people, then, then you guys have nothing to worry about. 
and you have nothing to worry about. The, the poor, the sick, the elderly, they will all be taken care of. Because look at what uh, look at what democracy has brought us in terms of policy: the welfare state, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, free education for the poor. After all, these were government programs that were put forth by politicians and voluntarily voted on by the majority of people. Right? That's how the democracy works. If I got that right. And also agreed to by the minority of people who, who have agreed to abide by the will of the majority in your democracy, right? That's how, in order for a democracy to work, we went over that. So apparently, the vast majority of people in society are perfectly willing to, to give up a huge portion of their income to fund education for the poor, to pay the teachers, police, and fire, to build your precious roads. The list goes on and on and on. And if you're going to try to claim that government programs have to force this morality onto the majority of people, it has to force us to provide for the, the, the sick and the poor and, and whatever, then all these government programs we have don't reflect the will of the people. And democracy is a farce. And if, in fact, they do reflect the will of the majority and the consent of the minority, then democracy is unnecessary. So, there you go. I almost forgot why I started talking about democracy. <laughs> um, anyway, back to Hong Kong. That is one of my issues with their protest, is that they're, they're trying to get more of a bad thing. Democracy is a bad thing, and they're trying to get more of it. So that's that's one issue. The, the other thing is it drives me crazy when protesters don't direct their angst where it belongs, okay? You're upset with the government. You're upset with the police, whatever it is. Go protest a government building. Go storm a police station, storm, uh, whatever kind of government buildings you have in Hong Kong, all right? R burn that shit down. Don't go, don't go into the, the, the Hong Kong airport and shut it down for three days. That's what's been happening over the last couple of days. They just reopened the Hong Kong airport, which is like one of the biggest, uh, the busiest airports in, in Asia. So now, yeah, you, you have a good cause, Okay, you you have a right to protest, but you do not have the right to now you're interfering with the free travel of other people. And that I have a problem with. So why are you going to the airport? Forget the airport. Go go where you should go where your anger should be directed, which is at your government. Go storm their their buildings, burn their stuff down. Fight them on their turf. Don't start inconveniencing the lives of thousands of other people who have nothing to do with this, who are just trying to get to where they're going to go. Destroying private property. They do this stuff. Uh, it, it's not just Hong Kong, obviously. You see this every time there's protests. Why, why do they always go attack innocent people? They, they go, they go attack shop. They, they loot shops and, and destroy private property. Go destroy government property. They're the enemy here. They're the ones that suck, okay? Not people f 
catching a connecting flight through Hong Kong. And then, of course, these you know these were peaceful protests. They've escalated as the the Yellow Vest protest escalated as well in France, and they have turned fairly violent. And you're starting to see a lot more clashes with law enforcement. You know, the the state's got to send in their their militant wing. The enforcers got to come in and start cracking skulls. And the people in Hong Kong are defenseless. This is one of the many reasons why we have a Second Amendment and we need to protect it. We cannot let it be infringed any more than it already has because you're, you're seeing it play out right now. There's actually people and there's people in Hong Kong holding up signs saying we need a Second Amendment. They're, they're, they're waving the American flag. They're singing the American National Anthem. And I, I hope they don't follow too closely in our footsteps because they need to learn from all the mistakes that we've made as a country and stick to our founding principles of, at the very least, limited government and individualism, individual rights, private property rights, and the right to bear arms. And don't start letting this leviathan of a government overtake you. Because even if they're successful, if they get exactly what they want, that government will start out small and it will use, it will use the tools at its disposal through democracy to, to continue to grow like a cancer. And all this pain and suffering that they're going through right now, this whole fight, this entire ordeal will be for nothing. And this could just be the tip of the iceberg. Things could get a lot worse over there. I mean, God bless them. I, I wish them the best. But you've got China now. You've got mainland China um, loading up tanks and shit along the border. This is a powder keg. This is a powder keg that, that, that could explode at any moment. And, and the people protesting here... While I, while I do sympathize with their plight and I want them to have all the freedom in the world, they're defenseless. They, they need, this is why you need guns, to fight tyrannical government overreach. And they don't have them. So you're, you're going to get to see, if, if this thing turns really ugly, you can already see videos of, of the clashes between the protesters and the police and the abuse that some of these, these people are taking. But if this thing turns really ugly, we, we could see a very, very big humanitarian crisis over there. There could be a lot of people that are going to get a big dose of communism right upside the head. And I don't know. It's scary. It's scary times. This is, um, this, is a big, this is a big deal. There's a lot of people's lives at stake. And the, the future of Hong Kong. Like I said, there are not a lot of free places to go anymore the places like hong kong are 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 too few and far between and i i i wish them the best i urge them to resist democracy and communism <laughs> all right so uh, enough of that Let, let's move on to the the real news this week shall we because one of my favorite talking heads on CNN, one of my favorite mainstream media networks, Chris Cuomo, had a meltdown yesterday. Yeah, I, I woke up and, um, I, of course, I, I checked my phone in the morning and 
and, and a buddy of mine had sent me the Fredo Cuomo meltdown. And, oh, my God, was it hilarious. If you haven't already seen this, I don't know how you avoided it yesterday. It was trending on Twitter most of the day. It was all over the news. But apparently some guy basically, I don't know if he accosted Chris at like a bar or a restaurant or something like that and started calling him Fredo in front of his family. You know, a dick move. Definitely a dick move. Not something I would advocate. But Chris, buddy, a piece of advice from a world-class ball breaker. If something really bothers you, you know, like a nickname, a greeting, or some sort of mannerism, don't let on how much you hate it, how much it bothers you, because it's just going to get a thousand times worse. Once guys know how to push your buttons, that's it. It's all over for you. They will never relent. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, uh, who was that baseball player? Um, uh, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre, it reminds me of him. Because he apparently, because he apparently doesn't like it when people touch his head. He freaks out. Freaks out. Goes ballistic. And of course, as soon as this gets around the clubhouse, Baseball players are the worst at this, by the way. You can take it from me. I, I played my fair share of ball. I, I think it has something to do with all the sitting around in baseball. You know, the long road trips, sitting on buses or in vans, sitting in dugouts for long innings. You're playing double headers. You're always in, like, bumblefuck towns. That combined with the sheer amount of failure that accompanies baseball. I I think I really think it's, if it's not the hardest, it's one of the hardest sports in the world. You know, the best hitters in baseball at the major league level are successful like three out of 10 times. So there's a lot of failure players have to deal with, and there's ample opportunity to just bust balls. So baseball players are unbelievable ball breakers historically. And anyway, once Adrian's teammates figured out that he would spaz whenever you touched his head, that was it. Everyone started doing it. Everyone. Relentlessly. It's a, you, you should look up the videos if you haven't seen them. I mean, it's hilarious. But this is the same thing with Cuomo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so some jag called you Fredo. I get it. A sensitive subject, I'm sure. You know, laugh it off. You know, the odds are you're a thousand times more successful than he will ever be. Laugh it off and move on, man. Don't throw some Fredo-esque temper tantrum about how you're being disrespected. (laughs) I mean, send Fredo out to do this. Send Fredo out to do that. You sounded just like him. (laughs) And it got you trending on Twitter all day. Now you will forever be Fredo. Believe me, I've made the mistake myself. I would always tell my buddies how much I hated it when they called me instead of texting. Hate talking on the phone. Absolutely hate it. My preferred methods of communication go something like this. Texting, email, Facebook messenger, fax machine, 
smoke signals, and then maybe a phone call if it's an emergency. And now, now look at me, right? All my Jagoff buddies are constantly calling me for no reason whatsoever. Hey, man, you want to come over? Dude, just text me, bro. <laughs> but they do it on purpose just to get to me, just to piss me off. It's fun for them. And it's all my fault. It's all my fault. And this is all your fault. This is all your fault, Fredo. Yeah, I, yeah sure, the guy's a prick. I don't think people should go accost others in public. Especially when you're minding your own business and you're with your family. I get it. But you blew this way out of proportion, man. Way out of proportion. And by the way, Fredo is not some Italian slur. (laughs) Okay? Just because an insult is directed at an Italian and it was in an Italian movie does not mean it's an Italian slur. Fredo applies to anyone that's playing second fiddle to a sibling. Like you, with your more powerful, more famous, more successful older brother, Andrew. Being Italian has nothing to do with it. And please, for the love of God, spare me this victimhood sob story about this being the equivalent of an N-bomb for Italian-Americans. I mean, give me a fucking break, man. First of all, True Italians aren't such pansies that calling them a name is going to get them bent out of shape like that. But if anything, I don't know, a guinea, wop, maybe dago, those would be the closest things we have to an end bomb. But Fredo? (laughs) Give me a break. Give me a break. And what is that impulse? What is that impulse that everyone has today to try and assume some sort of level of victimhood status? When did becoming such a fragile little bitch become such a badge of honor for people? Or fragile, as we say in Italian. Seriously, though, pearl clutching over being called Fredo and acting like this is the end of the world? Poor Chris Cuomo. Feels so bad for you. (laughs) And then Trump piles on. He is the ultimate troll. He took something that probably had a, uh, maybe a few thousand views, piles on, and boom, like 60,000 people are now seeing it. Truth hurts. Totally lost it. Low ratings at CNN. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on him. I've lost my temper o- over some stupid stuff before. He probably had a couple drinks in him. Yeah, get a couple of drinks in an Italian, and we, we quickly go from humble news anchor to thinking we're Rocky Balboa at the drop of a dime. But then again, Cuomo was the guy that was telling us all how it was illegal for us to possess the WikiLeaks Clinton emails and how it's different for the media. Ah, screw him, man. Thanks for the memes, though. The meme material is top-notch. And if you want to see those memes, you got to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. You're missing out. Anyway, I don't think anybody was happier with the timing of these stories. First the Epstein stuff, and now the Cuomo meltdown. Nobody was happier than Joe Biden. Yeah, that's right, Joe. You're not off the hook. I heard what you said, you knucklehead. You're not getting off that easy. I mean... God damn, this guy's a gaff machine. It's just hilarious. 
he, he just can't help himself. That's one reason why he won't be the nominee. I think Johnny the Jew is way off on that. This guy is a disaster. Absolute disaster. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll listen to the clip. I want to move on to Iowa, if I can, because Joe Biden gave what was considered a blistering speech about President Trump. It was a moment that some said was one of the strongest of his campaign to date. He's been out there on the stump doing retail politics. Um, It is a version of Joe Biden that some people think is one of the better versions of him. But he's also the version of Joe Biden that says things that are controversial inadvertently, to be sure. And to Lou, I want to play you something he said when he was speaking to a group of what we understand was Hispanic and Asian voters in Iowa yesterday. So let's listen to this. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. No, I really mean it, but think how we think about it. Poor kids are just as talented to Lou as white kids. Um, You know, the distinction there is there are poor whites, and, and, you know, how do you think that plays there? A gaffe, something more than that, a window to his soul? What do you see? God, I love Joe Biden. You, you can actually see on his face the moment he realizes that he just stepped in it and then he starts falling all over himself trying to cover it up. Uh, white kids, uh, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. <laughs> oh, man, talk about a Freudian slip. And then just having to watch the media begrudgingly cover it as minimally as possible. Could you imagine if Donald Trump had said something like that? How different the reaction would be? There would literally be calls for his impeachment off of, off of him saying something like that. But no, no. Not when, not when Joe Biden says it. Then, sure, they're controversial, but inadvertently so. He didn't mean what he said. He didn't mean to be offensive. I, I mean, look at how they cover for him. Look at how much cover they give him. It really is unbelievable. He starts out the clip. This is, this is uh, he, he gave a great speech. This is a version of Joe Biden that, that people love. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Oh man! And then the the just the the who were the idiots that started clapping for that? It just goes to show you that people will clap for anything. Like they just listen to the cadence of a politician, and they're waiting for that break. You know, they they make some they they spout out some plat some meaningless platitude, and people automatically clap. That's what happened here. But then they they sort of caught themselves and you can kind of hear them thinking through what they just heard as they were starting to clap and the clapping kind of fades. And that's what triggered Joe to realize that he, he just made a retarded statement. Oh man. But you know, I'm a white guy, so we better defer to the, the only black guy on the panel to, to figure out what we should think about this um, Joe Biden clip. So here we go. Uh, it's definitely a gaffe, and Joe Biden has a long record of making gaffes, so I don't think this one will stand out on, on that long record, but it does uh, add to the question of whether or not Joe Biden is uh, attuned to the moment, whether or not his moment has passed, and whether or not he knows how to speak 
to uh, the Democratic base in 2019 and 2020, which is a much more modern, much more woke, if you will, base where. <laughs> OK, that that's enough. We'll, we'll stop it there. <laughs> I guess we'll just chalk this up to old goofy gaff Joe Biden. No big deal. You know, this will blow over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it will blow over because you guys will shrug it off. It's not going to be bombarding your viewers at, every, at the top of every hour. And all the 26 presidential candidates aren't going to take to social media in unison with their marching orders and their talking points to blow this thing way out of proportion like they do with everything else. Uh, I love how they just give him the benefit of the doubt for some reason. And that anchor, well, obviously the implication being that, you know, there are poor white kids too. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know. Um, you know what else, CNN anchor man? Maybe this didn't occur to you and your liberal elitist ilk. But there are also rich and successful black and brown people too. I know that's hard for all you leftists to imagine, but it is true. If you just put your racist projection aside for one second, I mean, Jesus, man, it sure is awfully revealing, awfully revealing what a little slip, what a little Freudian slip can reveal about how these people truly view race and how the media will carry water for whichever candidate they subscribe to. I mean, they just brush this completely off and then nobody ever talks about it. They had to bring it up that one time and kind of cover it, shrug it off, thought this is no big deal, and then you never hear from it again. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly how the Clinton News Network would cover it if, if Donald Trump had said something like that. Donald Trump had said, oh, poor kids are just as capable as white kids. <laughs> okay. Okay, Joe. Oh, my God. This is, this is the world we live in, folks. This is it. I'm going to wrap there. Thank you all for listening. Democracy sucks. Joe Biden's an idiot. And don't forget to order your fettuccine al Cuomo next time you're at Olive Garden. Seriously, though, if anybody listening out there goes to Olive Garden, you should be ashamed of yourself. Or orders fettuccine Alfredo. I mean, I'm pretty sure only black people order that in an Italian restaurant. I don't know what it is, but every black person I know loves fettuccine Alfredo. It's their, their, their favorite Italian dish. Probably because it's a lot like mac and cheese. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I better shut up before I end up on CNN. Because they will not be giving me the Joe Biden treatment. Anyway, if you're eating at Olive Garden or ordering fettuccine Alfredo, do yourself a favor and go get some real fucking Italian food, okay? Fresh pasta, a light sauce, and while you're at it, share the show, download and subscribe, give me a five-star rating on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you're listening on. Follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction, and you can support the show monetarily through our website, pedalingfictionpodcast.com. Any dollar you give goes right back into delivering content for you guys and trying to increase our reach. Like I mentioned, we've had a nice bump in the numbers recently, but I'm, it's not nearly enough. We, we need to get some more listeners out here. So anything you can do to help spread the show, spread our message, is much appreciated. This show is only possible because you guys listen 
share, and support the show. So if you can do all that, I will be back next week. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.